0: Well, a lot has happened since we last did a VanCast, Farhan Lalji along with Thomas Drance on a Monday afternoon and just... Full transparency, we actually recorded a podcast this morning, but so much has changed, both from a Vancouver Canucks standpoint and an NHL standpoint, as far as the whole Chicago thing is concerned. We had to come on and do it again. So two for the price of one, although you're only going to get to listen to one of these and, and you know, again, full transparency. I had to talk Drancer off the ledge at one point so that we could get through the second one. My friend, are you okay?
1: Yeah, I'm fine. I'm just, I was frustrated by today's. Availabilities, to be totally honest with you, like I, I just think on a very basic level, like the NHL protocols are very clear about what pertains to vaccinated individuals and unvaccinated individuals. And, you know, there was a Travis Hamanick availability today at long last. And, you know, it was so like he was an emotional um You know, subject like he was talking, I think, frankly, despite you know, insisting on his privacy, which fair enough. Um, you know, and then toward the end of, of a statement thanking the organization for their patience and their understanding and their support, um, you know, he just noted that he is vaccinated and also noted that you know, the he'll be following the protocols until that process is complete, and so. I hear that, though, Farhan, and because I know the NHL protocols forward and back, um, I know what he means, which means that he's not fully vaccinated. Like he's not he's he has the status legally, like in terms of what how the NHL protocols apply to him. um, He has the status of an unvaccinated individual. But I quickly noticed that the comment that I'm vaccinated is the one that's going out on Twitter. Right. That like Canucks fans are hearing. Right. And I'm like, well, that's just not true. Like, this is not good enough. And, you know, it's just one of those things. Like, 60,000 fans have gone to Rogers Arena to watch the Canucks play. All of them had to prove their vaccine status. Um, you know, just some basic transparency on the availability and the future availability of players was needed. Like, some clarity here. And we don't need to know the why. There, There is a private side of this story that can remain private and that we all respect. But the players availability, right? Like the status of their, um, like, because of the way that NHL protocols are written and agreed to by both the PA and the league, like a player's vaccine status, in fact, needs to be known so that we can cover the team appropriately so that we have full information about the decisions being made. And so, you know, I I just thought the team could have done better in spelling that out because then I, you know, have to go at, Travis Green and the next availability to clarify. Um, Just like I had to ask uh, Travis Hamanick, who was, you know, being as frank as he could be and as human and emotional as he was um, to clarify. Right. And it's like, I don't want to be a stick in the mud being like, hey, like you said this, but does that mean that, you know, like I, I don't have interest in poking at that. And yet everything around the league right now tells me that while there's pressure on in this market on media to be, you know, like not negative. Like, I don't know, man, I kind of feel like everything we've seen play out over the past three, four months suggests that, in fact, we we should probably be covering this league much more skeptically than we ever have. Right. Like the negative, like we need to be skeptical about these things. We need to be asking questions. And so, you know, I, I was just disappointed that the Canucks didn't spell it out, but you know, made us have to dig on a sensitive subject.
0: Well, you couldn't have been, if you were disappointed, you couldn't have been that surprised. And and when you talk about the league, I do want to get into the Blackhawk situation, but since we're here on Hammonick and it is a Vancouver show, we'll start there and then get into the league stuff. But with Travis Hammonick, we shouldn't be that surprised because this whole thing was handled unbelievably childishly and unbelievably unprofessionally. And again, you made the point, this isn't about the why. Because if he's got personal beliefs as to what got him to this point in the vaccination process, whether it's family, whether it's health, whether it's religion, whatever it is, um, he, they didn't need to go there today. But the no. fact is, in his statement, he addressed vaccination. He did it cryptically by saying, I've been vaccinated, but I'm still following the protocol till that process is complete. Then you ask them about what does that mean? One vax, which seems to be the obvious solution, but you want clarity. They won't give it. This takes us right back to the beginning. They They opened up so many implications about why they were where they were without just telling us. You don't have to tell right. us why he's not vaccinated. But when you say he's going to be at training camp, then he's not at training camp. And everybody, you've made the point that we're we going to be 100% vaccinated. Like, fill in the gap and just say he's not yet. You don't have to tell right. us why. You know, nope. we, can respect, we can respect that piece. But just own it because you're dancing around it. You're forcing us to put you in uncomfortable positions when there's no reason to not say it when you've said it right it it just becomes
1: it becomes a much bigger thing and a thing that demands a level of you know skepticism and honestly like um you know uh, like a, an aggressive line of questioning that you know it, like on the one hand i've been told that this is complicated and that i need to be respectful what's, and what's super complicated? careful well no that's what i'm saying what and then, is complicated? and then on the other and then on the other there's just no clarity here so you know, at some point, at some point, like, I just think fans basically have a right to know about how available their players are. Like, how available are Canucks players? Um, Are they available to go on an upcoming road trip? Are they available? Like, the protocols, as agreed to, make it so that it's relevant for the public, like, it's a matter of public interest or fan interest, uh, the vaccination status of players. And, and that's why teams that have had you know, issues with players either reporting or remaining unvaccinated have been pretty clear about that fact, right? Like, William Nylander was up front right away when Maple Leafs camp opened. Um, Tyler Bertuzzi was very clear. Mackenzie Blackwood, very clear. Like, all along the way, we've seen 31 NHL teams figure out how to be basically transparent and serve their fans. And we've seen the Canucks do basically the opposite with Hammonick. And I just, uh, you know... I don't know the full story. I don't need to know the full story. I'm not going to speculate on the full story. My heart goes out to him. It does seem like it was a massive struggle and he was emotional in addressing the media today. But I I think fans are entitled to a fair bit more transparency than the club has offered throughout
0: this uh, episode. The club has put both Travis and themselves in the crosshairs and they have nobody else to blame. They're going to get pooped on or dunked on for this. And the player just all of a sudden... Today, notwithstanding, because there was the emotion involved, he becomes a less sympathetic figure. And understand that this league, on the whole, named names last year as it related to COVID. So how is vaccination status that much more sensitive than your medical privacy? And yet the league understood that fans have a right to know on the availability of their players, and they put out a COVID list last year. We knew the names, whether they had it or were in protocol, we knew the names that were affected on some level. In my opinion, this is no different than that. And again, the why can be sensitive. The what doesn't need to be. And they put themselves in that situation, and it's unfortunate, but hopefully we're nearing the conclusion of it. I know you've been hammocked out, you know, really reluctant to talk about it because you've just been so frustrated with how they've dealt with it, and and I don't blame you. And we'll get into the... I, you know what? And I think that's part of it too. Like, uh, you know... <laughs>
1: the lack of transparency on the way and then we finally get to today and it's like okay clarity will come right and if not for you know me being like that's not good enough and and following up the way i felt i had to with green i don't like clarity wouldn't have come for all of this the story coming out of today would have been hamadix says he's vaccinated and that's not the story like you know it's not
0: so yeah, we don't know if he'll be available for the Canucks as soon as they get back out on the road, right? Like we don't know when the second shot will come and when he'll be completely vaccinated because there is a period after that where you're not fully vaxxed, right? It's not the well, day you get. Not,
1: not, to mention, not to mention, do BC rules apply to the window the uh, window that he has to wait? Because that's four weeks, you know, and we don't know when it happened. I mean, we don't know much to be totally honest with you. So we're still kind of in waiting mode, uh, even though Hammonick's availability may... You know, he may be available for the game tomorrow, but we don't really know the long-term implications of what this means for the club, which makes it tough to talk about from a hockey standpoint too. So well, we- the only the only route into this story then is, you know, like man struggles, um, like emotionally for undefined reasons, club happy to have him back. Like, okay. I mean, I guess that's part of the story for sure, but it's not... It's not what, like, fans are owed more than that, more clarity than that, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, there's no question. And look, we will get into the on-ice implications because Jack Rathbone did get sent down, other issues on the back end, Oliver Ekman Larson didn't practice today, not believed to be serious or anything like that. But there is an on-ice thing. But before we get there, I want to take a step back and get into the Chicago Blackhawks situation. And I just, I want to do that philosophically and optically because it's more important, quite frankly, than important. all the rest of this. Yeah. So, uh, and and there is some news to it today because Gary Bettman and Bill Daley did speak to the media to address the situation surrounding the Blackhawks. Everybody that stepped down, everybody that was forced to resign, and Kevin Chevaldeoff, who essentially has got a pass in all of this. And for all of us, you know, I, I think we've looked at the, the NHL cynically. Look, I, I've made no bones about the fact that as an entity, I despise the National Hockey League. Like I love hockey and I love covering the Canucks and the sport is electric and there's so much greatness about it. Um It's it's fun. There's so much good about it. But the league as an organization an entity is a tragedy under Gary Bettman's watch in terms of how they deal with cultural issues, transparency and on and on down the line. And, you know, we saw it during... Um, black lives matter when they were in the bubble and they were, you know, they were just things that they've mishandled on a minute by minute basis. They could give a master's class on how to screw up PR. You know me, I, I told you in JPAT when I would, would be on with you before, you're not going to get me to drop an F bomb and you're still not, but I'm close. <laughs> I can just, I hate them. And today gave me no reason to hate them any less because basically he just, he, he gave Kevin Chevrolet off a of pass. And, and look, I don't dislike Kevin. This isn't about that, but at, at the end of the day, he was allowed to be in a meeting, know what was going on, and be a bystander. And, and that, mm-hmm. was, be, that was justified. He was allowed to be a bystander. And isn't that what we're railing against on so many of these types of issues? It's not okay to simply say, I'm not racist. You have to be anti-racist. You have to be involved and try to be empathetic and help. And it's not good enough to just not be a part of the problem. You need to be a part of the solution. And yes, it was 11 years ago. And no, this isn't cancel culture. Kevin Sheveldayoff was in a position to do more, and he got a pass today. And unfortunately, today became about him as opposed to everything else that the league has done or really not done. And then there's a a conference call today involving the, the players executive on the Players Association side and the future of Donald Fair. More is coming out in that regard about the fact that he knew more, they knew more, and not only did they do nothing, they didn't reach out to Kyle Beach to see how he was doing, if they could offer support. There is so much wrong with this, and it speaks to the culture of hockey. How can this change? Will it ever change under
1: the current leadership? And you know what? It's disappointing, especially because in the wake of the Quenville de facto Expulsion, Right? Like, I thought the NHL had handled that right. Like, I thought there was a moment of moral clarity.
0: Well, they, did, then, let them pro- they did let him coach a game first. They
1: did. They did, for sure. And, I mean, I think that was an error. <laughs> I thought Bettman addressed it in a way that was unconvincing today. I thought the fact that the league didn't call on Rick Westhead until embarrassed into doing so by Pierre Lebrun, uh, your colleague and mine, um, was was an, an incredibly petty look considering the enormity uh, of the work that he's done to bring this story to light. Um, but I also thought that the Kevin day off non-punishment announced pretty hastily, right? The day after the Quenville story, um, you know, sort of served to cloud, right? What, what was a, d- a decision that in all other respects with the other five individuals in that meeting, um, you know, made appropriately in, in light of the uh, report. So, You know, I I mean, it's hard not to be disappointed by how this all turned out, obviously. I mean, obviously. First of all, you know, I think, and first and foremost, like, our heart goes out to Kyle Beach, right? And, you know, he showed enormous courage. I think it was very important that, um, you know, he share that truth, ultimately, because I I don't think that this organization's, and I mean the NHL, is capable of top-down change. I thought Bettman's comments today reflected that. I think the Shevel day off situation and how that played out reflects that. And, you know, I, I do think change may have to come on the player side, which sort of raises the stakes for the NHLPA meeting, executive board meeting, um, which will take place on Monday afternoon.
0: Yeah. And, you know, when, when I look at this, I, I just see a group that's completely reactive, right? And how does it get fixed? How does it get fixed in other leagues? How did the Washington football team name get changed? Corporations got yep. involved. They started a boycott. And the reality is, there isn't that level of cachet or might in the National Hockey League, right? I mean, you know, we've we've talked about the the gambling issue before, right? Which you know pales in comparison to this, but just the lack of transparency around injuries as it relates to, to betting and potential revenue that could come into the league. and And Bill Daly basically said, "Well, no one's told us to change how we behave, right?" And the behavior's gotten worse and worse and worse and more restrictive. Uh, none of the gaming companies, none of the casinos, nobody has said anything to them because that's what they need for a reaction. But this is petty change when it comes to, you know, when you compare this to the other actual professional leagues in North America, right? Uh, because we know this, you know, by, by the scale of the NFL and the NBA and, um, and Major League Baseball, um, they're not even close, right? So if I'm Budweiser and I'm a major supporter of the NHL, you know what I'm going to do if I don't like how the NHL operates? I'm going to take my money elsewhere. I'm going to leave. I'm not going to try to affect change because it's the NHL. And who really cares? But if it's the NFL, I need that capital. I need those eyeballs. I need that association. So maybe I can use that to affect change because it'll give me even more profile as a corporation. You look at the situation in Winnipeg, how much local advertising and sponsorship dollars do you think could be moved to force Winnipeg to make a different decision? That type of money doesn't exist there. But when you look at the other leagues, dollars speak and hear they're less likely to and that's the only way these owners are ever going to force Gary Bettman to act differently because all Gary Bettman has done is behave the way the owners want him to the owners just want Gary to make this go away take the arrows for us and make it go away and you know people will all take shots at Gary because he's a very non-empathetic figure and he's easy to criticize and all of those things so it, I just don't see it ever changing culturally in hockey because the economic might and wherewithal doesn't exist the way it does in other leagues.
1: Yeah, uh, I, unfortunately, you may be right. Um, you know, the the self perpetuating knitting circle. And you know, I, I, let's let's just zero back though on you know the the root of this, right? The the duty of care that the Blackhawks failed to observe in how they treated Kyle Beach, who was their prospect at the time. And, you know, I I mean, these are like, what happened is just abysmal, just like an absolute tragedy, like something that makes it hard to want to cover this league, frankly, right? To to support this game. And I just think it's very important for us to take a sec and let any survivor of sexual assault listening, right? Because we never know who's listening, but... You know any survivors listening? uh, You know, want to let you guys know that you're not alone, right? And we all we all know we have a part to play in making sure the next Kyle Beach, whether it's within hockey, whether it's within whatever our day to day lives, whatever your job is, whatever industry you work in, um, to make sure the next Kyle Beach doesn't feel isolated and powerless, and uh, for you know as much as a decade or more before sharing sharing their truth. So um, that begins by believing survivors, right? um and it believes and it begins by aspiring to be the type of person who could break the chain right the type of person who someone would feel confident telling about xyz that's occurring in their day-to-day life because they know they won't be the person in the meeting being silent and and look that's a standard that i'm sure um like that's an aspirational standard it's a high standard to set for oneself um but i think it's important that we you know all try to get there in our own personal lives in our own professional lives And, you know, I also think part of that is insisting on consequences for abusers and those that enable them. And the NHL got close to actually doing that last week. I don't think they went with the full moral clarity, the full John Tortorella standard, the the reasonable objective standard of, you know, everyone who didn't put their hand up and said, hey, what, WTF, we can't have that. Um, You know, they didn't quite get there. Uh, They got close. And they covered their hide today during that Batman availability.
0: Yeah. I mean, you, you were a PR guy at one point and there was, that was a master's class in how not to handle something like this. Just, um, you know, the general lack of empathy, when got, when he got pressed, said all the right things. But then when he was asked about the litigation and things of that nature, it, it kind of went back to, to who Gary is um, at his core when it comes to these things. And it was difficult, but in terms of, the other things you just said there about just making sure that we're all in a better place to help those that need it and to make sure that people feel supported, uh, well said. And I think that's probably uh, where we should leave this topic right now because we do know that the topic itself isn't going to go away. But as, it, um, as decisions get made and things move forward, we'll certainly react to them and, and try to uh, articulate the feeling of the VIPs as we move forward with all of this. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Travis Hamanick, uh, we, we've talked about the the situation surrounding the vaccine and, and when he might be available and the fact that he could play as early as tomorrow night when the Canucks play host of the New York Rangers in game four of this seven-game road trip, but he might not be available when the team goes back out on the road, depending on where he's at as far as that status is concerned. But on the ice, I know when he got on the ice at the morning skates, uh, Quinn Hughes was right there to give him a bear, big bear hug. He was pretty happy to see him. And... Uh, there is the possibility that he can play. Travis Green said afterwards that, you know, he thought he looked great, thought he looked leaner, was looking better, and his timing looked better coming into this practice than he was expecting. He has had the one game in Abbotsford. um, And Hamannick himself talked about just how much more time he spent on his fitness, on the ice, all those things in the offseason compared to what a normal offseason for him looks like. So he feels a little more ready. But this is a guy that came out of the gate, very, very slowly a year ago. So what are your expectations for how they use him? Because I know we weren't really sure. I think we were both a little surprised that he was on the ice today and that tomorrow was even a possibility.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. I was surprised. Uh, You know, if he gets in, I think he can help, especially if they limit his minutes. Like, uh, I think he can help in 12, 13 minutes a night. Um, You know, the, the concern I have in terms of his impact is, like, what this team really struggles to do is generate scoring chances And they've generated more scoring chances with Jack Rathbone on the ice than they have any other defender. So my concern (laughs) with Jack Rathbone leaving and Hammonick coming in is that it doesn't help the Canucks in the area that they most need help in right now, right? But, I mean, Hammonick's a good player. Like, Hammonick's a useful, you know, 4-5 type defenseman who can maybe be better than that because he has a unique fit on a pair with Quinn Hughes, um, so you know, I think Hamanick can definitely help this team and, and he looked good in practice to me, uh, reports that I got out of Abbotsford were that he played really well, uh, that night he had an assist. Um, so, you know, I, I won't be shocked at all to see Hamanick perform very well and be a helpful piece for this club. Um, but yeah, I, I also won't be shocked if it takes him some time. Like I definitely will think would expect, I would expect that he's not, you know, ready to go, like raring to go top four guy or you know, more than that. Right. Like this team signed him to play on their top pair. Right. They, they signed him to play on their top pair with Quinn Hughes because of a unique fit that they believe in based on his performance over like four weeks once he returned from injury. And he, he was talking about how the injury that he sustained at the in the early part of last season made a big difference for him um, was, you know, in retrospect, the best thing that could have happened to him, that rib injury. Uh, because of how it got him acclimated to what the club wanted to do and that he was better when he came back. He's right. He played really well for about four weeks prior to the COVID outbreak um, with Hughes in that role. If, if they can recreate what they were over that stretch, like that March stretch when the club was getting outshot massively, but Hamannick and Hughes kind of weren't, um, you know, you pair that with how OEL and, and Myers have played together. Uh, they've played really well. Like that, that would be a huge add to uh, that club, like for this club. Um, so, you know, I think Hamanick probably will be useful in limited minutes. And if they watch those minutes, um, you
0: know, I think he can be effective. Yeah. I'm curious to see what the net effect is going to be on Quinn Hughes, because I think when we look at Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson and the starts they've had since coming back from the, you know, the contract delays, um, you know, we certainly feel that Quinn Hughes has been significantly better than Elias Pettersson has. But when you look at the numbers and expected goals against over 60, it it still hasn't looked good for Peterson. I think it's, or sorry, for Hughes, I should say, uh, sitting at 0.76 against or minus 0.76. Um, how much of an impact do you think he can have on Hughes specifically? Because, you know, we, we've we seen some things we've liked with Pullman, not individually, but with him, uh, with Shen at times. I mean, how much better is he? At, look, it's not Chris Tanev, but how much better is he with Travis Hammonick than he is with the other two?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Hammonick's got much better puck skills than... Poolman, and I think he's got, he's much more defensively reliable uh, than Myers. So you put those together and he's kind of like a halfway point between them. And that's kind of something the Canucks need, right? Like for me watching Pullman and Hughes, uh, they've been okay, but there's just a lot of possession moments where Pullman doesn't make the play that helps the Canucks more skilled players sort of continue to cook as it were, right? Like there's some things that Pullman takes off the table offensively. That's not ideal for a long-term Hughes running mate. And I think that's why you've seen Myers and even OEL occasionally on, uh, offensive zone draws, uh, sort of fill in on that top pair. I think Hammonick's a guy that you can just sort of leave with Hughes. Like you don't have to worry too much about switching things up because you're trailing. And maybe you maybe you give some nitrous to your attack by putting Myers with Hughes in that situation. But, you know, I don't think you have to um, effectively like build a more offensively minded uh, first pair caddy for Hughes in the aggregate. You just kind of have a guy who's, you know, t- scored at a top four rate over the course of his career pretty reliably. Um, you know, in that spot. So, I mean, I think that there's real utility there, and and he's probably a better fit with Hughes considering that than either Myers or Hammonick are. Plus, I actually don't think you want to break up OEL and Myers right now. Like, I actually just think that's that's like one of the few things you've got working. Um, and when you're when you're a team like the Canucks, where you know you don't have a lot of lines or pairs driving play, like you kind of want to stick with some of what you got that's going right. There's not enough going to sort of tweak the part of the engine that is.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. And when you look at um, Oliver rickman Larson, I think as much as we've talked about him having a bounce back season, just think of what he's done to Tyler Myers. I mean, that alone is is such a big thing for them to, you know, to, to get that much more out of him playing next to OEL, which nobody was able to do for Myers a year ago. But I want to talk about the impact on Jack Rathbone. You touched on it earlier about how, you know, generally he's doing well when he's on the ice, but... Uh, he got sat down a couple of nights ago, played in the last game. I thought he had a pretty much, yet a much more effective outing in the last game. Yep. How much of this is just the waiver situation and the fact that they can send him down as opposed to sending something down, somebody like Burroughs or Hunt, um, and how much of it is him playing? Because I think he is still their their third best left side defenseman.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And I think they need his legs. Like they need his legs and they need his offensive touch. But, you know, I think that, Brad Hunt's fine. Like, I think Brad Hunt can be good. I think Burroughs can probably be good in a third pair lefty role. And, you know, if their judgment is that Rathbone would benefit from playing 20 plus minutes, which Travis Green sort sort of hinted at when he spoke after practice on Monday, you know, I don't think they're wrong. Like, I kind of think about Chris Kristanov. You remember Chris Kristanov, like, filled in during the 10-11 playoffs. He had the Fanner glass pass, like the famous Fanner glass pass, played with Erhoff, played with Ballard, like played really well. Um, you know, was was crucial for them as injuries mounted along the blue line. And then the next season, he goes down and he spent, you know, most of October and November in the American League, like in the AHL with the Chicago Wolves. And I don't think that was a bad call. Like, I don't think that hurt him at all. Uh, and when he came back up, you know, he was one of the best third pair defensemen in the league for a couple of years until John Tortorella realized that he could be a top pair guy and put him with hammies. So, you know, I think that, putting Rathbone down, like sending Rathbone down and giving him a month even in the American league, especially considering how few professional games Rathbone played in the 2021 season. You know, I, I don't think that's a bad outcome for Jack Rathbone at all. Like it, I mean, it is in terms of drawing an AHL instead of an NHL salary, but I don't think it's a bad outcome for him developmentally. Uh, I don't really have a problem with it now. The waiver situation, I, I mean, there's other guys who are waiver-exempt that could have gone down, including, like, Nick Patan, who just came up. Um, granted, the club probably wants some forward reinforcements in case Dowling, um, who didn't skate today, remains on IR for, you know, a couple more days than they'd hoped. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think this was material. Like, I think if they really wanted to get Hammonick into the lineup at the expense of someone else, they would have figured out how to do that. I think sending Jack Rathbone down was something the club wanted to do for other reasons.
0: Oliver Rekman Larson not at practice on Monday. And Travis Green said afterwards that he's fine. He's just a little bit sick. So we would assume that he's going to be available to play tomorrow. And uh, Tyler Mott also says he's ready. And interesting that we, we were finally able to find out his issue. He had a bulging disc in his throat, in his neck. And he had surgery on that. You were able to see the scar today when the guy's... I talked to him after practice and obviously it's been a challenging situation for him, but he says he's physically and mentally ready to get back on the ice, not eligible to come back until I believe Friday based on LTIR. Uh, So, uh, you know, and and Travis green also said after practice, he's going to need a couple more days. So that probably fits that timeline, but getting Mott back sooner than later now, and just injecting that energy. What does that do for this team? Especially the PK.
1: No, I mean, Mott always seems to have a bigger impact on team speed than he should. Like, I've got this theory that team speed's a fragile concept, and it's amazing what a difference one guy can make. And Mott is one of those guys who seems to make that impact for this team consistently. I don't know if he'll have as big an impact this time around as he has the other times around when he's come back, just because their bottom six is a little bit faster, a little bit fleeter of foot um, than it used to be. But yeah, I mean, Tyler Mott, in terms of the penalty killing ability, in terms of that against the grain scoring threat... Um, you know, in terms of the forechecking, like, I think he can have a pretty big impact. Honestly, I, I, M- far greater than the underlying numbers would suggest. So, yeah, no, I mean, they need Mott. They need Mott back for sure. And look, go if you go watch that availability, like, Mott gave a masterclass in, you know, just honesty and dealing with Vancouver media and handling it all and, you know, poking fun at us for digging into his injury issues and on and on. Like, he crushed it today. Um just a, he's just a he's just a good depth player. He's just a good depth player. And I think, you know, Green suggested today that he thinks he can do a little bit more up the lineup. I'm a little bit less optimistic than Green seems to be, just because I don't think I don't think Mott has the like Zach Hyman, um, you know, healthy Michael Ferland or like Alex Burrows would be the other example of like a grinder guy who can help a skilled line keep the puck. I think he's more against the grain, like he's more of a rush threat for me with it, um, as opposed to a guy like Excel's digging it out of the wall and continuing the cycle. But I do think that his speed is something that can change things from Vancouver's third-line perspective. And look, in a world where Matthew Highmore has played a ton of third-line minutes, I mean, Mott's an upgrade on that. So I, I do think he can have a pretty big impact on what this club does and you know how they try and attack teams, especially with how slow they've looked against several opponents that skate quickly.
0: Now, we saw in the last game that we saw Connor Garland at times sitting on a third line for this team with Nils Hoglander winding up spending some time with uh with Bo Horvat and with um uh with Tanner Pearson. And look, on the surface, this club is paying Connor Garland to be a top 6 player forward not to hang around with jason dickinson in a checking capacity but if you put tyler mott even on a short-term basis or various times in games because they used garland up and down the lineup during the game but i think if you play him with mott for bursts i think you can get just that jolt of energy you can get in on the forecheck a little bit You know, you've got that spin cycle game where there's just so much edge work and quick twists, quick turns and Garland's game. And you can even throw him in there with Hoaglander from time to time, just because of the energy that he plays with. And you might be able to get a little bit more out of Mott than just going against the grain. And that might be what Travis Green is contemplating. And, you know, I'm not sure how their speed matches up with, um... Uh, how their speed matches up necessarily with, with a guy like Dickinson on the third line, but there might be something there just again, not for entire games or entire weeks, but just for short periods of time.
1: Yeah. It's um, yeah, there definitely could be something there. And I look, I like, I liked the, I liked the way that Garland was able to sort of jump around the lineup a bit in that third line spot. I thought that line played pretty well. I thought pod Colson's come on. Like I thought he, I think he's been better on this homestand than he was on the road. Um, you know, so they're going to have some interesting options and probably some tough decisions too, especially when you throw in the fact that Bailey has been pretty effective as a penalty killing guy and that, you know, you throw, you throw together a fourth line that's something like Lamico, Mott and Bailey, or, or, or uh, th- sorry, that would be fourth line or a third line that's something like Mott, Dickinson and... Uh, Garland, as you suggested, like yeah, I mean now you're now you're attacking teams vertically. Like now there's less excuse to be on the back foot the way the club was against teams faster teams like Buffalo and Seattle and um, you know Minnesota last week, right? Like those three games are sort of the template of what this team can look like when faster teams are sort of taking it to them. Um, I do think model help address that, and and I do think there's some interesting options to have a bottom six that, you know, can skate properly, which just, it's everything. It's everything in the contemporary NHL. Like why do you think forwards are getting smaller and D are getting more mobile, right? Like not a coincidence here, right? You you still need, I mean, size still matters. Like the willingness to go to the dirty areas of the ring still matters, but man, you got to be able to skate in this league right now.
0: Let's talk a bit about what we've seen from this team of late. And look, it's, it's not just an extension of, but it's actually gotten worse than what we saw a week ago. I mean, this team is still not generating following their last game. They were last in the league in scoring chances generated. And then coming into today, they are third from the bottom in the league in terms of the amount of time that they've actually trailed in hockey games. Only Montreal and Chicago are worse. I think over 295 minutes trailed. It's, it's ridiculous what we're seeing right now. And look, I think in the Edmonton game, I I read the armies and and I know you said they got completely outclassed. I thought they had some moments in the second and third period. Uh, You know, their shot share reflected that where they had the puck a bit more, but it it just all, even with their top line, it just still seemed from the outside, there weren't five alarm scoring chances. We didn't look at Elias Pettersson and say, Oh yeah. Miko Koskinen just robbed him right there. And that's the reason that he hasn't scored yet. No, no, no. It was none of that. Um, Yeah. They've got some zone time, but they're just showing nothing as a result.
1: No, uh, and I don't even think they're getting enough zone time. Like, I think the knock-on effects of the first line not controlling play. Like, if you go look at the lotto line, right? Like, what they did so well in 1920, I mean, they were a good offensive line too, but they were a great defensive line. And and I don't mean in zone. I just mean they spent no time there, right? Like, shift after shift, they were wearing down the opposition. And now, shift after shift, the Canucks have no one doing that. Like, they just have no one generating zone time consistently enough. And that's why when the McDavid show came to town, like, the Canucks looked kind of like Putties in Power Rangers or Stormtroopers in Star Wars or Bond henchmen <laughs> in a Bond film. Like, they felt like they were, you know, a, a plot device. They plot device baddies. They, they weren't even sort of the, <laughs> the hero of their own story. They were just kind of window dressing to miss shots. Um, that sucks. Like, that, that can't be where this club is at this stage of their team building cycle. So... You know, I I really did think they were outclassed on, on Saturday against the Oilers. Like, I just thought the Oilers controlled that entire game. And even when the Canucks were threatening, they were threatening, but they were down. You know, like, they, it just, there was just not enough quality looks on Koskinen. And and that's just troubling because it's the continuation of a th- trend we've seen where the Canucks aren't even generating enough pressure or offensive stress on their opponent to, to get lucky. You know, and that's just a really tough way to try and win games in this league.
0: You actually quoted Bill LaForge because that was the last time the Canucks have lost three straight at home to open a season. And that goes back to the time when I was like in junior high dance. I know you weren't even born (laughs) yet. And the one thing that defines me about the – it just sticks with me about the twenty games that Bill LaForge coached before getting fired because he came straight out of juniors. So there was a lot of eyebrow raising to his hiring at that time. But in training camp, he took he took all the players and he divided them into three teams. And this is like Stan Smeal, Gary Lupo, like those types of players. And he the teams were called Pride, Hustle, and Desire. And in the first twenty games, they showed none of that. And Bill LaForge era ended pretty quickly.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, he they they didn't play their third home date until the ninth game of the season that year, right? So it was like, it wasn't a home stand. It was like they lost their home opener, they lost another one after a road trip, then they lost their third after a road trip, and Bill LaForge lost 11 more games, right? But more than anything, I just brought it up to sort of remind people, like this, you know, even in the depths of like the early Orca Bay era, right? Or like the late 80s, uh, the disaster right before Pat Quinn took over. Uh, like even in some of the leanest years, the Willie Desjardins era, like even in some of the leanest years this franchise has endured, three regulation losses at home hasn't happened since the Bill LaForge era, which is remembered as a unique cataclysm for the franchise. Right? Like that's that's what we're staring down the barrel of. We're staring down the barrel of a team that you know has struggled historically. Like this is a rare, more than once in a generation start to the home space, like slate of their schedule. And yeah, I mean there's a lot of reasons for it. You know, I know, I know the coach is taking a lot of heat in this market. Um, But for me, it comes down to the fact that, and and I'm of sort of two minds of this far on, because it's like the team's biggest issue is what they're generating. And, you know, it's their top lines. Like it's their top guns. It's the guys we were surest about going into the season that struggled in that area in particular, right? Like it's the best players that just haven't, generated the way they usually do. Uh, and and so on the one hand, usually when I see that, I'm like, well, they're playing well below their true talent level and they'll probably be fine um, because they're not going to like Pettersson and Brock Besser are not going to end the season at sub 40 points. Like they're not, they're going to figure it out at some point, but the Canucks just don't have the time to wait for that. Like they, they need to be starting to rack up points quickly, especially, you know, in a Western Conference. I'm not even just looking at the Pacific where, you know, I don't think for sure we're going to have five playoff teams from the Central. I think the Central is looking a little bit soft. Um, I do think Vegas is going to figure it out. I do think Colorado is going to figure it out. Like, I do think the teams will charge hard, but, you know, there's a playoff space for the taking for this Canucks team, despite their brutal start. They just need to start winning games before this, you know, really goes off the rails and puts them too far behind the eight
0: ball. Yeah. You know, and You mentioned time, and I think that's the key here, because when we look at what happened a year ago, and Pedersen started very slowly a year ago, and I think it was the last 11 games before he had the injury where he started to pick things up, not sure he was still as dynamic as we've seen at the best of times for Pedersen, but nonetheless, the points started coming, and they can't wait for that. Like, they simply can't wait for that. You look at this homestand, they're healthy right now. I mean, and now you're going to get Travis Hammonick back, and even without him, I mean, he's not like a game changer for them. They have been healthy relative to a number of other teams, even though it's early in the season. And a seven-game homestand, they have to make hay now, and they clearly haven't. And by the time these top guys figure it out, it may in fact be too late because it was last year. By the time Pedersen got things figured out, this team was buried. Now, their defensive structure was so much worse than it is right now, but nonetheless, you're either getting points or you're not as a team. They weren't then, they aren't now. And so I, I certainly think Vancouver hockey fans have reason to worry. And you know, you talked about um, just the natives getting restless. And Brock Besser scores that goal with just seconds left against the Oilers, or this team might get booed off the ice.
1: I mean, I thought they would have. I, I had some people push back. They were like, "I don't think that was happening." And I'm I like, felt oh, that vibe. I,
0: I do. I, 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 I kind of I agree yeah. with you.
1: I, I thought I thought it was building to that crescendo um, for sure. But um, but yeah, I mean. You know, Pedersen has one even strength point, one five on 5 point in nine games. Like, I don't think he's ever had a stretch like this in his career. And, I, I mean, I think it's understandable that he needs to shake off some rust. I thought at least his pace was good on Saturday. I mean, if we're bending over ourselves to come up with positives. But, yeah, I mean, they just need more. Like, they need a lot more from their best players. Their best players know that, obviously. Uh, I don't think it's a secret at this point. And until that happens, like, the fundamental logic of this team, like, the, the logic of this team requires really good special teams, which they haven't had, a dynamic top six, which they haven't had, and great goaltending, which they have. Like, this, the scariest part about this is the Canucks have had top ten goaltending and are still not winning games, like, are still have seven points in nine games. Um, you know, unless the special teams figure it out, uh, unless the top six get going, I mean... It's going to be a slog. Like, what's left? Leaning on like a slightly improved defensive game and Thatcher Demko to steal them. Like, boy, that's not a winning formula.
0: No, it certainly isn't. And we, t- you were talking about special teams and their power play. Based on what we saw Monday in practice, has gone back to what it has been for most of the year. We thought going into that Edmonton game we were going to see a bit of a different look where they took Pedersen and Hughes and split them up, and you saw Miller, Horvat, and Chason on the other group with Besser, Garland, and and Hoglander on, or sorry, and Pearson on the group with Pedersen and Hughes. But in practice today, it's Hughes, Pedersen, Miller, Horvat, and Chason, which is what we've seen most of the time to begin with. Yeah, um,
1: it's yeah they they got one power play, they generated a ton of looks, and then they switched it again. I'm a little bit at a loss for understanding that, right? Like. It's like they didn't even try. It's coaching. The new look.
0: It's Green's fault.
1: Well, I mean, the the one thing I will say is like for me, people look at the uh, defensive improvement that this team has made, and I believe that they are better defensively. And they're like, "Well, Brad Shaw's impact," and it's like maybe, or or they're not giving up the same number of odd man rushes because they've replaced Alex Edler with Oliver Ekman Larson. I mean, which which answer is more compelling to you, right? Like the second one for, is clearly yeah, the answer. Clearly the answer. So you know, I mean, for me, that's. Five on five tends to be more talent-based and special teams often is more about, you know, a coach's impact. I mean, yeah, you still need creative players. Like you still aren't going to have a historically good power play without McDavid and Dreisaitl or Ovechkin or what have you. But, you know, I I do think that coaches can make a really big impact uh, on special teams play. And, you know, I mean, the power play has been like, I'm not worried about the power play, but.
0: It certainly has of why are you not worried about the power play?
1: Well, cuz they're top 10 in the league in generating goals for or expected goals for. Um they're hovering at just below 19%, which isn't too, isn't too bad and their shot rate, like their underlying shot rate is roughly average and not out of line with what they've done in previous seasons. So like their power play for me it's it hasn't been bad, it just hasn't been living up to its potential. And you know, what I do want to see is Besser, Pedersen, Hughes up top. Like, I want to see that given a look, like a real look. Um, you know, I'm, I'm disappointed that it won't be based on based on the alignment that we saw in practice uh, at practice on Monday. And then the penalty kill, like, it does look to me like they're pressuring high a little bit more uh, after the Edmonton game. They certainly were in the Edmonton game. I thought their first PK opportunity, which resulted in like a last second goal by Warren Fogle, was one of their best of the season. Um, we'll see how it holds up against less imposing competition than the 50% power play that the Oilers strut out. Um, but, you know, overall, like, they they do need to be better there. And and if there's sort of one area where I do think heat should be on the staff, it's it's to iron the, that part of the game out.
0: Yeah, I'd certainly love to see Besser on that left side with, um, with a guy like JT Miller at the net front, because just, you know, his gritty style, I think, really lends itself to playing there. But, yeah, it looked like they were going to try to balance the units. Now they're trying to load it up. And for me, I just think that, you know, we talk so much about what their impact, what they're generating five on five, but I really do believe with a, with a player like Pedersen uh, and even Besser, I think whatever they do on the power play is going to carry over and impact them five on five. I think yeah. just to get any mojo back, um, I, I think it'll make a difference in their entire overall game just to feel better about themselves. I mean, the one goal Pedersen even has was off the end boards and back out in front and deflected off somebody and went in, right? I mean, he hasn't legitimately yeah. scored a goal yet. So, if he gets one, whether it's on the power play or not, I think it is going to carry over into five on five play and he desperately needs anything to get happy about.
1: Yeah, I, I do agree with you. They, they definitely need to to iron it out, but I'm just looking at the overall body of work on the power play. Like the power play is going to be fine. It's, I, I mean, I, I, there's just too much talent here and the underlying profile is fine. It's, it's good. Even. Um, it's like the one aspect of their performance so far that I'm least concerned about. Like if, If I had to do a five-point bulletin on what concerns me about the Canucks, like, I'm excluding the power play from consideration. It's just that, you know, I think we know with the offensive firepower that this team employs, like, it should be better.
0: Well, and we've employed two shows worth of firepower on this one. I'm not sure I want to talk to you the rest of the week, Drancer.
1: (laughs) No? (laughs) is it?
0: No, oh. no, no, no. We could, we could talk forever. We could talk forever. <laughs> uh, Thursday, Thursday or like, Wednesday, bud. You, you will. And if you want to listen to more, uh, former National Hockey Leaguer Bryce Salvador is Craig Custance and Sean Gentile's guest this week on the Athletic Hockey Show USA. Eddie Lack also joins Rob Pizzo from CBC Sports and Sarah Sivian and Jesse Granger from The Athletic on Wednesday's Roundtable edition of The Athletic Hockey Show. And as for the VIPs and you listening... Thanks for listening to the VanCast. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcast to get all the bonus content from our entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial and then just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast. Tuesday. It is the New York Rangers who are on a bit of a roll. They've won six of their last seven. They've won five of six on the road. They come into Rogers Arena. So a stern test for the Vancouver Canucks as they try to snap a three-game losing streak. We will be there. If they're going to win that one, they're going to have to get hurt.